Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up? And welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. Um, this is a perfect day to do this episode uh, because I've been having this conversation recently. And as if you listen to this podcast on the regular, you know, I went vegan all of 2020. And about a week ago, a week to the end of January, it's February as we're recording this. Um, I was sitting, we're, I was doing this um, a rape uh, spiritual exercise and, and without getting into all of that, I was sitting in this position and uh, my friend took a picture of me and it's a year from when I did that exercise in Joshua tree in December of 2019. And we looked at the photo, which she happened to have on her phone of me in December of 2019 and me in January of 2021 and it was like two different people. I'm wearing the same clothes. I'm wearing the same size clothes. I mean, they're they're different clothes, right? They've been washed. They're different colors, but it's the same outfit, basically. Um, I pretty much have the same haircut, same facial hair. And yet in the photo from 2019, I look like I'm about 30 pounds heavier and I look swollen and unhealthy. And back in 2019, I don't think I felt like I was, I felt like not great, which is why I became vegan, but I don't, Think I wasn't like hugely overweight. I was like 205 pounds. I'm 5'11. I lifted weights a lot. That wasn't like a big deal. But when I looked at it, I was like, God, who is that fat guy? And like, who slept with him back then? That was like my literal response when I saw it. And then I looked at the new photo and I was sitting side by side and I went, God, he looks so scrawny. I got to get back in the gym. And I had this like very quick flash moment where I was like, well, wow, this is the worst relationship with my body and with the way I look. Like, I can't win either way. Now I actually look, while before I do think I was like inflamed and I didn't feel great, I actually feel great now and I look healthy. And anyone that sees that photo is like, oh my God, you're like glowing. But yet, what did I look for? Like my arms, how big were my muscles, like how the shirt sat on me. It was like I was perfect purposely or unintentionally or intentionally looking for like what was wrong, what wasn't good enough, what fit the narrative of how I should or shouldn't look. And then I found out that we were going to do this podcast and it was like, oh, this is going to be so perfect. We're going to have to have a conversation about this. And I think I've shared this before. I think it's really important to have these conversations, especially as men. Ever since I was young, I remember women having conversations about bulimia and anorexia and, you know, um, crash diets and, and all sorts of diets and working out, but it's not a thing that men talk about. And I think it should be, and this is the point, this is why I think it should be. I also recently read that 
90% of women are dissatisfied with their bodies. 91% of women. And I was like, okay, I could see that. Like that wasn't shocking at all. And then I heard that 90 or I read that 90% of men were also dissatisfied with their bodies. And while I for sure fall into that category, I was like, no way. Nine out of 10 guys that I hang out with, that I grew up with, that I was playing sports with, that I'm buddies with, were also feeling like I was. I just don't, like, I don't, I guess it could be true. And I like, don't buy it. And it doesn't feel real. Um, It always felt like in my head, I was the only one that felt like that about myself. And it still often feels like that. So I'm really excited to open up this conversation with our our expert on on this subject today. So our expert today, and I hope she doesn't mind that I'm calling her an expert, but (laughs) I, I would say that she is. So she's the CEO of Amber Approved. She's been in business for almost eight years. She is um she helps thousands of women women achieve food and body freedom all over the world. She's an emotional eating, digestive, and hormone expert. She has a podcast called the No Sugar Coding Podcast that has over a half a million downloads, over 200 episodes, and has been listened to in over 82 countries. I wonder how many countries this podcast has been listened to. I've never thought about that. Uh, she's also appeared on TV. She was featured on TV personality, Whitney Port's podcast, and she's also appeared on uh, local TV about 50 times in three years alone. I'm really excited to dive into this. Just in the few minutes that we talked before we got started, we were talking about subliminal messaging and how we manifest disease. Welcome to the Dream Mason podcast, Amber. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here to have this conversation with you. Can we just to give people like a little bit more about like why you're in this role and how you got here? What's your kind of story that, you know, you didn't wake up as a five year old and go, I'm going to be an expert on this and help people. How did this happen? Yeah. So it's kind of like the opposite happened when I was five. I woke up and, you know, ended up being completely bullied by the older boys on the bus my first day taking the school bus. And, you know, um, it just completely ruined me because when you're five for anyway, for me, I did not learn how to like brush off negative comments like that. I didn't know how to handle bullying and name calling, especially from the opposite sex. Um, and so I really took that on as my identity. I believed it. I thought, well, if stranger strangers are judging me and saying this, it must be true. Um, and so I really then grew up not wanting to have anything to do with boys or men because I was afraid of getting hurt, um, really developed an emotional relationship with food, uh, partially around being my mom struggled with multiple sclerosis from a young age. And so one of her ways to compensate was to, you know, include food in everything. So I started associating food. And so essentially I developed a very emotional relationship with food from a very young age. And a big part of that was because my mom had multiple sclerosis. And so a way for her to compensate was, you know, food was included in everything we did. And she very much had a food addiction, um, from a young age. And so I think I, you know, unconsciously inherited some of that from her, not that it was her fault. However, I think a lot of the behaviors our parents have, we can take on, you know, um, unconsciously and not even realize the innocence of it until we grow up and it has a significant impact on our lives. And so I started dieting by the age of 10, I was reading, you know, 17 and pop magazines and all this celebrity stuff. And here's the conditioning where I'm watching music videos, I'm reading magazines, I'm watching award shows, and I'm seeing all these thin women, 
that are popular and beautiful and have all this attention from men and are rich and famous and have what it seems like everything. And so I just, you know, gathered this assumption that, okay, if I want to, you know, the best life to have would be to be famous and have money. And the only way I'm going to be able to get that is if I literally like rip this image of this girl in her bikini out and put it on my treadmill and just like start walking every day, all day and like have this flat stomach. And I became so asphyxiated with having a flat stomach. I swear to God, it's like all I focus my time on because it's all I was seeing on everything that I watched. Yeah. And that really... I think like I struggled with that until I was about 2021, just like diets restriction and then like craving and eating all sorts of junk food. And I feel like once you graduate high school and like I moved out away and like went to college and now we have the bars and like going out and drinking all the time and just, you know, I can buy whatever I want at the grocery store. And so I never had a healthy relationship with food. I just didn't realize that I had an unhealthy relationship with food until I um, went through a breakup and didn't feel good enough, thought, well, if I get the perfect body, then like I can gain my revenge and like, he'll want me back. And then I can, you know, do whatever I want and have whatever I want. And so I lost weight really quickly through restriction in an unhealthy way. And through two hours of exercise every day, got what I thought was quote unquote, the perfect body was getting all this attention. Um, but I felt so arrogant. I felt so egotistical. Um, I was very, not nice to men because I was like, now it's my time to get my revenge after how, you know, poorly I was treated, um, which totally didn't make it right. And then I realized it wasn't attainable and the ex didn't want me back. So it's like the switch flipped and I started binge eating. And so binge eating for me was not like just eating one chocolate bar. It was like going to the store, buying chocolate bars and cookies and sandwiches and pasta and bags of chips and like coming home and eating until I felt so sick. Right. Um, because for me, what I didn't realize from a very young age is I didn't know how to love myself. I didn't have any self-worth or confidence. I didn't know how to manage stress. And I again was so asphyxiated on this external image and looking a certain way that it's all I knew. And I, I did think that that was happiness. It's so it's so relatable. I mean, not yeah. it's, it's different from I think for me or as a, from as a man, often, but because we weren't looking at like, hey, we want to be super thin. But as far back as I can remember, you know, as far back as I can remember, I was like watching wrestling as a little boy, or football, or basketball, mm-hmm. or baseball, and all like professional athletes are in great shape, right? And if you watch professional wrestling, they're like, you know, muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles. Yeah. And usually the guys that are the big kind of fat guys in wrestling are not the ones that everybody loves. They're like not the popular ones. They're mm-hmm. not the ones that like have the ring girl or something. And when I think, you know, when I think back, it's like, what were the movies I watched? Well, it was like Rocky and Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. And it's all these guys that are like superheroes, basically. And I I can go back and remember, like when I, I remember being a little kid and being really skinny at first. And then there was a year where like, I grew, I grew like three inches and gained 18 pounds in like a year. And all of a sudden I wasn't like a skinny kid anymore. I was like probably normal and healthy, right? But mm-hmm. I didn't think of myself like that. And I also didn't look like these superhero humans. Well, I was a little boy, of course I didn't. But I remember like getting the like Hulk Hogan workout set. Now this is like Mm -hmm. in the eighties, I was probably 10 years old and it came with like three pound weights and like a little motivational cassette tape. Um, but that was like my first introduction. And then I remember in my like junior high years, like I wanted abs. I'm like 12 years old. And I, and like, you know, there was like that one freaky kid who like had 
uh, like a perfect body at 12. Right? Mm-hmm. But, like, um, but I remember getting like an ab roller. Um, oh, yeah. And like thinking about like, and then everything became like subconscious it was, or like um, self-conscious. Like you were always thinking about it um, and worried about it. And I, I can agree with you. Like as a guy, I would look at like, I think I was like, I, I was always had good relationships with women. And I was always like in that like flirty, like having girlfriends as a little kid. Mm-hmm. But I was always afraid that like, oh, well my body is like what will mess that up. Like I won't be muscly enough or I won't be in good shape enough or I won't have like good enough abs. And then the girls will find that out and they won't like me. Um, so it's, it's really mm-hmm. relatable. Like it's, and it, I, I, and I wonder now, like as we talk about it, it's like, I know women deal with this, but I wonder how many men do. Yeah. I would say a lot more than you would think, because this is the thing is at the end of the day, we've received the same conditioning, whether it's for the woman to have the flatter stomach, the bigger breasts, whatever it is, or for the man, the bigger muscles and, and, you know, the six pack and that kind of stuff. It's the same body image conditioning because you see the same men and women and all the shows and all the magazines doing all of these things. And now with influencers, like some of them, right? Like you see them, you know, in the exercise workout clothes and products. And I'm not saying they're all in it, but you know, this is Photoshopped and edited is not even actually real. And these people don't actually even look like this. And I'm being completely like deceived and convinced that like anybody could even really look like that. You know what I mean? Like that was one of the biggest kind of like piss offs, I guess you could say was like, Oh my goodness, this isn't even real right? Like how much Photoshopping, how much editing is done to each frame of each show movie. Um, we're not told that there's no disclaimers. It's a big money grab, right? Sex sells, violence sells, um, you know, big people endorsing products sell. So whilst I don't think all of them have bad intent, I think it is just part of a huge industry that wants you to feel disempowered because if you're out of your power and you're desperate, you're pulling out your credit card, going on Google, yeah. Typing in fastest ways to lose weight, fastest ways to gain muscle, fa- best products for muscle, you know, whatever. And then here you are now taking all these products full of dyes and aspartames and it's impacting your testosterone and your hormones in a crappy way for a guy, for yeah. a woman in the same way. Right. But it's now we're coming from this desperation and this insecurity and I don't feel good enough. And so then we give our power weight, all these big, co- big companies that do, they really care. Right? How, did, how did you become, how did all this go to like where you became like more of an expert or someone that could help people? Like, was there, was there training? Was this just from a personal journey? Where did that transition happen? Yeah. So that was really after I had lost the weight and then couldn't attain it and started binge eating. I went through binge eating food addiction, a brief period of binging and purging and stopped that. And really, you know, after eating out of the garbage, which was my like complete low point was like, I've got to figure this out. For some reason, I didn't feel called to get help. I just didn't think anyone would understand. Plus I like did not have the money to spend on it. So I started first, um, changing the way that I was eating. So I tried all kinds of different diets. None of them worked of course, because diets just don't work, but I started going gluten-free, dairy-free, going to natural sugars and cutting out a lot of the processed food. And once I got a handle on that and got more mindful with food, I was binge eating less. And that's when I started to realize that I really struggled with body image issues that I didn't like my body and that it was so asphyxiated with these external 
So I really started to build a self-care routine that involved a lot of meditation and, you know, journaling and starting to understand why I felt the way that I felt about my body, reading books like Louise L. Hey, You Can Heal Your Life and other self-help to start understanding how my mind and my thoughts was impacting my physical state. Um, understanding what was triggering me to emotionally eat was important and making a list and starting to see that, okay, I actually don't need food. I need to deal with my emotions. I need to um, sit with my feelings and just feel them rather than continue to suppress. I need to learn how to say no and set healthy boundaries. And the last part was letting go of the scale, letting go of the diets and letting go of this need to externally look a certain way and really learn how to fill this void that was internal, this lack of self-love. And as I evolved through that second phase of my journey um, and started to discover like this intuition and energy and manifestation and, you know, you attract what you are. Um, I really started to realize how it all came together and how food was my coping tool of choice to hurt my body, to suppress my emotions um, and to punish myself because I didn't look this certain way. And so as that all evolved, people started asking me like, what are you doing? You know, your knowledge is so great. You've been doing so much healing work. And I, at that point was like, so many people are curious about what I'm doing if I went through this and could heal it, you know, number one, I'm so grateful that my body gave me a second chance, right? Because I was so hard on my body for so long. Um, but number two, how many other women and men, but women are dealing with this and struggling with this and have no idea where to start or what to do, because it's not as easy as just going on a diet and like, it'll take your cravings away and then it will resolve the issue. Like it's not that cut and dry. So then from my personal experience, which I pride on really having the brain of an addict and someone who really deeply struggled with their own insecurities and had no power whatsoever. Um, I did, I went to get a natural nutrition education just so I could have that to further help my clients. Um, but it's really the personal experience that brought me to want to start my business and start coaching other people who are struggling with these very things that I was struggling with and through healing my hormones and healing my digestion and all these other things as well. Plus the education, it really allowed me to bring in those other elements. And since then my coaching has evolved like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like to all levels for those who are open to all. And for those who just want to focus mental, physical, emotional. Um, so that's essentially what's brought me from, you know, 12 years ago to where I am today. You so much in here. Like there's <laughs> that you talked a lot in there about like food addiction. And I I know I talk about, you know, with clients a lot, like that we all find ourselves addicted to something. Mm -hmm. Everyone. I don't care who you are. You're addicted to reading, you're addicted to, you know, um sleeping, you're addicted to food, you're addicted, you know, that we have these common addictions like alcohol and, and yeah. cigarettes or drugs that we've all decided collectively are like bad. And then there's like ones we don't talk about, like we don't talk about porn addiction mm -hmm. and we don't talk about like food addiction as much. Yeah. We don't talk about like, I would say entertainment addiction. Big time. Um, and there, there's probably other ones too that are like really, maybe even shopping would be like another yeah. one we don't talk that these are like re real things that people are dealing with. And, and like, when I say addiction, I want to be like really clear, like, I'm not saying shopping is bad. I'm not saying even saying porn is bad. I'm not saying food is bad. Everything is about the way in which you interact with it. If you go watch one porn, is it the worst thing for you? Probably not. It probably has no impact at all. And if you go buy one overly priced thing, again, it has no impact at all. But the way I like to decipher these things are when they're actually impacting your life or preventing you from having the life that you want to be living. Yeah. Um, and 
it's, I think it's so many people have that relationship with food. Like you described that binge thing um, with sometimes with alcohol too, right? We don't drink a lot. And then like, we'll go out and just get hammered or we eat healthy all week. But then on Friday night, we like a whole pizza and ice cream. And we're Mm -hmm. like, well, it's Friday night. Yeah. It's been normalized, sadly. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and like, I think of like, we eat, you know, when we sit on like airplanes, we're just like, people are just shoveling food in their mouth because they're bored yeah. or at a movie theater, right? Yeah. I mean, if people do, if we go to movie theaters <laughs> ever again. Um, yeah, there's this like very, I love that you brought in before the idea that like the companies don't care, like this is great for them because they get to make money. Hey, here's a great food to eat while you're watching this or while you're yeah. doing this. Or how do we, how do people start to recognize I guess there's so actually, let me go back. Cause I want to say like, first, how do we start to recognize if we might have an issue with food? Cause it's not always cut and dry, right? Like we don't all no. have the extreme example. Um, so how do we start to recognize if we do have an issue with food? Yeah. And that's, thank you for asking that. And I just want to say the normalization of emotional eating and binge eating and the, like all the ads and like people going, it's okay. Just like eat the pint of ice cream. It's okay. Just like go and have this. It's like, they're enabling it, which does not help. Um, but I always say the difference between physical and emotional hunger is physical hunger is eating to physically nourish your body, to provide you with nourishment, energy, you know, all the functions in your body to physically satiate and satisfy you. Emotional eating is eating for any reason other than physical nourishment. So whether you eat and associate, you know, TV and eating, you're multitasking and eating, and you're not paying attention, you're eating because you're sad, happy, bored. Yeah. So this whole concept around emotional eating is really, you know, it's, it's about any reason for eating other than for physical nourishment. So whether you're bored and you're eating, you associate watching TV and eating, working and eating, which is mindless eating because you're not present. Um, it's just like you said, you're, you know, sitting in the airport and you're bored. So you're, you know, eating to pass the time. Um, and I often find for a lot of people, they're in this, um, perfectionist all or nothing mentality with food. So Mm -hmm. once they have one little thing, then they're like, screw it, I'm done. I'm just going to binge or eat crappy the whole day. And I'll start my diet again on Monday. (laughs) And that just fuels, perfectionism, people pleasing different mentalities fuel this unhealthy dynamic with food because, um, a lot of people also emotionally eat because they're overwhelmed because they're giving to everyone else and not to themselves. So there's so many different reasons why people will start this behavior with food. It could be your mom put you on a diet when you were really young and that just traumatized you. Right. So depending on the way you were brought up in the relationship with food that you created through your parents, through people around you, through the content that you're observing and through the way you perceive your body, you're right. I think everyone at some point has developed some kind of an unhealthy dynamic with something. And what's so interesting is if we don't address the emotional relationship with food, it can just transform into other kinds of addiction or unhealthy self-sabotaging behaviors because I went through periods of time where I stopped eating, but then I was at the mall more often shopping and spending money I didn't have or the technology addiction and just like numbing out with TV and, and, you know, scrolling through social media for hours. So, um, it's very important to understand that one of the first things you can do to start identifying this is before you reach for food, whether it's, you know, your meal or a chocolate bar, or a bag of chips is, am I actually physically hungry? Is my stomach growling? Have I not eaten for a while? You know, is my blood sugar dropped in my, 
I'm hangry and, you know, I'm angry and frustrated and irritable. And, um, do I have a hunger signal, right? Those are some cues you can start to tune into physically versus emotionally. Like I'm stressed and bored. I just associate X things with eating. I don't really need this, but I'm seeing it now. I want it. I'm craving it. Right. It's a very Mm -hmm. different, like on both sides. So that's a question that people can start to ask themselves is, is this physical? Is this emotional? And if it is physical, what can I give my body to really nourish myself? If it's emotional, what maybe is going on? And you can start to ask yourself some of these questions. Maybe you're, you'd slept poorly and you're tired, your lack of hydration, right? Maybe you're missing valuable nutrients in your day and you're not eating enough. Cause that's a huge issue for a lot of people. Um, so, something I noticed recently, and it came through this experience of being vegan was how we like put labels on so many things mm, yes. and how the labels trap us in something. So like I went on, a, I, I, I met a woman and she goes, you're not a vegan. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like I eat, and she goes, it's a lifestyle. Like you have leather seats in your car. <laughs> oh my and I was like, okay, well, the, we're probably not, this is not going to go anywhere, first of <laughs> all. But um, the idea that like, that it like that we create these boxes, right? And you have to mm-hmm. fit, fit perfectly into them. So like I, I was vegan for the whole year. And then at the end of the year and starting 2021, I was like, man, that felt, I feel better than I've ever felt. And I was like, I think I want to stick with this because I feel so good, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm listening to my body. And then I tried to eat some meat things just to see, like, maybe I could create like a more like a, um, like not an all or nothing, right. Yeah. Like a balance. And I ate some non-vegan things and it like, didn't actually feel right. Like it mm-hmm. felt wrong. So I was like, Hey, I think actually this is a good lifestyle for me. And then I decided, you know what? I want to be able to like go to a birthday party and not like have not like be eating like, you know, the one thing on the menu that is vegan, or I want to be able to go to Thanksgiving and not have to have everyone prepare something special for me. Um, and I went, you know what? I think I'm going to one meal a week. I'm going to give myself where I can like eat whatever I want. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean binge, but like open up. And I thought the first thing that, that got me all triggered about it was I was like, well, then I can't say I'm a vegan. Mm, There's a label. Right. And I was like, how stupid is this? If I do something essentially 95% of the time, I mean, first of all, who cares about the label? But like, if you do something consistently and regularly, it, it couldn't you say that you are it? And because there is no such thing as perfection. No. Um, how do labels, like, how do you see that impacting like, like this work that you do with people? Yeah. So I think labels can be really destructive and really, you know, um, can contribute to the self-sabotage if we attach to them. And that's why I think it's really important that, yeah, like if you, if you find being vegan feels really good for you and you feel so much better, great. However, maybe it's not even like the being vegan. It's like, yeah, I'm eating certain foods that feel good for my body. However, maybe you're also like, in a really awesome self-care routine and you're sleeping really well. Maybe there's also other things that you're doing along with being in that eating style that are helping you gain optimal health. Maybe you're, you know, um, just finding that there's other aspects of it. So I think it's like people, I often find it comes back down to the insecurities and not feeling good enough. So I'm going to attach to this label of being vegan because look at what they do. And I'm, you know, all of these things to do with being vegan with like animals or, you know, having certain standards or associating with a certain crowd, like that's still, I feel some need to fit in. And I still feel that there's something within that's like, I don't feel enough. There's some part of me that's missing. So I'm going to go try and find it in this crowd, which is no different than 
needing to wear a certain brand of clothes or like associate with a certain social status. Like it's still this external need to fill some internal void. So I think it's very important that we're very mindful with how much we're associating with the label and going, okay, I'm going to eat this way because it feels good for me. However, I'm not going to necessarily like make it be what I revolve my world around, because I think that's then where, um, we can get into more extreme thinking. So some people do take the veganism to very extremes. And I don't think regardless of the eating style you're in, that it's healthy to judge others and put others down if they're not doing what you're doing. Right. And that's where these, we get divide, right. Versus letting people do what feels best for them. Everybody needs different things. And then you get into the diet labeling, right? So it's like good, bad. Well, you shouldn't have that. If you're vegan, you shouldn't have that. If you're not eating sugar. And then you have your friends and family members like judging you, you know, when they see you eating something you're quote unquote, not supposed to. Right. So, um, I think it's so important that we, we, we try different things so we can see what feels good for us. However, at the end of the day, it's so important that we do the psychological mindset work. Um, because otherwise we will just obsess And then we will shame ourselves if you have that one day where you eat meat or you eat something that you're quote unquote, you know, not supposed to have. And we have to be mindful. This is the last thing we're going to say about this. We have to be mindful about that, you know, that one day, because for some people, they may be able to do that and have no issue and they have no emotional attachment to food. But for some people, what happens is they'll, they'll follow whatever their protocol is for the week, but then they obsess every day about that Saturday. Oh my God, on Saturday, I'm going to eat this. And oh my God, yeah, I want that on Saturday. And then it literally becomes this asphyxiation, right? Yeah. I love that. This it's, I really recognized for me that there was a huge breakthrough because like, like I get, I go through the week and I don't actually think about, cause that's how it would have been for me in the past. Yeah. I would have been like, okay, I'm, cause I've done cycles before where I was like, I would try lots of things cause I didn't feel good. Right. So I'd be like, all right, mm-hmm. let's try like eating this style or let's try eating this style. And I, but I wanted to give myself the freedom, like to have a social life. Yes. But I would think about that all in a week long. I'd be like, Ooh, on Friday, I'm going to go to this restaurant and I'm going to have this thing. And it was like, and then I would eat myself sick. And this time I really, and I, I don't know that I'm as aware of it now that you're pointing it out, but I see this moment where I go, I have this one meal a week. I don't think about it at all. And like last mm-hmm. week, I didn't actually use it because yeah. I, because it didn't actually, it's not like I have to do it. It's like, Hey, if you feel like it, if you're, if you want to, if you're in a situation that calls to you, go ahead and I was in, um, I was in Sedona a few weeks ago and my friend who was with me was eating like this big bowl of chili quiles that looked amazing. And, and my gut kind of told me, don't order it. I know you feel like you want it, but if you order that, you are going to be done for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to feel like crap. And I had the moment where she got it and I, she was like, do you want to try it? Cause she knew I wanted it. And the first thought in my head is like, you can't do that. Cause like you're, a v- you can't like the write the rules and like, what are th- what you're breaking your rules and what are they going to think? And then it was like, who actually cares if I have a bite and the, the magic in it was like, I had a bite. It was amazing. And that desire that was inside that wanted to know what it tastes like was actually fulfilled in that one bite. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the rules. It's the ego. So our egos are self-sabotaging mindset. And it's that voice that's going, don't have, and you shouldn't have that. It's not in your rules. It's not in, you know, whatever you're following. And it's so important to understand is that as long as that's calling the shots, we're probably going to end up in some kind of a, you know, unhealthy dynamic with food um, versus bringing in more balance because yes, 
balance in a healthy relationship with food is all about finding a way of eating that feels really good for you and alleviating the need to eat for emotional reasons and, or being aware and having other tools. However, it's about balance. So of course you want to nourish your body and put really good things into your body. At the same time though, you're human and it's not about perfection. So if you want to have something, you should a lot for, you know, a few meals a week or a couple of meals a week. And yeah, if you're like, you know what, I really don't want it this week. Totally fine. But to have that balance, because otherwise there's such a rigidity and that ego going, no, you shouldn't do that. You can't do that. And then rebellion happens. And as soon as rebellion happens, then people are going way off on the other side and and overdoing it. And then they get the bloating, the digestive issues, their brain fog, they're tired. Right. And then over time, if you're in this back and forth, you end up with hormone imbalances and then you're maybe gaining weight and you can't lose weight, or maybe you're not able to put the muscle on or whatever it is. Right. So it's, um, it's just interesting to see how what can seem so innocent as a rule or mm-hmm. uh, you should, shouldn't can turn into like a potentially slippery slope. Yeah. And there's so much, um, you made me think of something that I like, I don't want to lose it. I had it. Um, mm-hmm. but there's so much of this conversation, um, we're, we're like a victim to, mm-hmm. we're not, it's the, it's a weird thing that we would do things that hurt ourselves. Right. Like I get, Hey, if you were like, if we were to talk about somebody who cuts, that's not, that's not weird in the sense of like, when you understand what that is and why people do it, it's not weird. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's like a sickness. It's a, it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a mental disease that plays out in the physical manifestation. Um, but when we think about food, which is like an everyday thing you described before, you would eat till you're sick. And I know plenty of times where like I would eat food that because it tasted so good, I would just keep eating and then I would be sick. My brother jokes that, you know, we had a good meal when Alex is like lying on the floor on his stomach after the meal. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that as like out of context, that we as people will do something that knowingly we are going to be in pain and suffer over and feel badly about, and then we'll choose to do it repeatedly. Yeah. That's the addiction. So that's Mm -hmm. literally some of the key ingredients that they're putting in these food products that excite the same part of your brain as heroin or as a hard drug. And then you store these pleasure memories that you first experience when you take those first few bites in those first few minutes in the hippocampus. So when you see that food or it's a holiday or you associate with that person, whatever you've associated the food with, this part of your brain will light up and go, oh, you should have this food because you associate it with movies or hanging out with this person. Or when you're sad, you eat these things. And so then all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe I should have that because it made me feel really good last time. There's no part of the brain where we store the bloating, the discomfort, the sickness, the regret, the anger, the frustration, or whatever emotions come along with that. So when you know that sugar, refined sugar is 10 times more addictive than cocaine, when you know that the casein that is in cheese is so concentrated that it literally, um, Um, you know, makes the opioid like receptors in your brain light up like heroin. Cause I have lots of clients when we talk about, you know, reducing their cheese intake, they get angry. They get angry because (laughs) even though they're bloated and like having diarrhea, like crazy and they feel horrible. They're like, but I don't want to stop eating. And I'm like, that's how, you know, you have an addiction to something when you get angry thinking about even substituting Mm -hmm. something else, because I'm not about restriction, but it's important to understand if, if you can't, 
keep, you know, if you're keeping losing control with a food and, and you have a little bit, and then that's it, you know, we've, we've got to understand how that's impacting not only the brain chemistry, but then your blood sugar, right. And all the physical responses in the body. And yes, you feel poorly afterward, but you keep coming back to it because of a repetitive behavior and the way that it impacts the brain chemistry. So every time you repeat the pattern of going to some kind of food for whatever the reason is, if it's regularly through the week or month, you create a neural pathway. And so each time, whenever that time comes, it's evening for a lot of people is a vulnerable time, or maybe when you work on your computer, you have an argument, you literally will have that neural pathway light up and go, it's time for me to go and eat even if you're not hungry. So you have to understand there's all these parts happening and that's what makes it feel so easy Mm. to go to it, even though it's like, why would I hurt my body? There's so many layers to it. Yeah. I want to just touch on for people that are listening that don't know what neural pathways are. It's like super interesting if you want to go do your own research, but the way I would kind of describe it as simple as possible is like, there's freeways in your brain Mm -hmm. and they get you from like point A to point B. So like, and they're very quick, right? Like there's not a lot of weaving and the, the more often essentially you take that route, you can do it faster, easier without even thinking it becomes automatic. And like, if we want to break that habit, it's like deconstructing a freeway. Like it's a huge undertaking. Whereas if it's just like a tiny little bridge, you know, we do something one time, it doesn't have that, that big like connection. Yeah. Um, you said when you were talking about the addiction, I don't know if this is an area, but I, I think this is important to share because this has been my experience. I used to have such an intense sugar craving. Like mm-hmm. I had to have sugar like every day after meals. And I didn't intend when I went vegan to break my, to do have anything to do with sugar. But what I noticed over the course of the year was, and again, this, I'm not an advocate for people being vegan. I don't care. People need to find like what's right for them. I'm just sharing my experience that I noticed that like now on the other side of a year, my sugar craving is gone. My cheese cravings are gone, like completely gone. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't mean I don't have sugar, but like I don't need to. I don't don't think about it. And what I notice is my body's wanting the things that I was giving it. So like, right, I was giving it tons of vegetables and lots of sweet potatoes and lots of like beans and rice and like things like that for just for instance. And now Mm -hmm. like when I think about food, I actually lots of like almond butters and peanut butters. My, my, it's like, that's what I'm craving now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you've cleaned out all this, what is kind of more toxicity in the body, these refined cravings. And that's how a lot of people feel when they start to understand the relationship with food and bring in more nourishing options, those more intensive cravings, whether it's like carbs or breads or cheeses or dairy or sugars, um, they start to go away because you're balancing your blood sugar, you're eating better, you're calming down those patterns in the brain, those neuropathways, and you're probably finding healthier outlets via self-care hobbies, um, exercise or whatever else to help you cope with your emotions in a healthier way that are providing the soap, uh, the dopamine and serotonin, um, you know, and more gradual production versus like this big hit and then this big drop. And as you start to feel better, you, you gain confidence. You start to learn how to listen to your body. You become mm-hmm. in tune. And that's one of the most powerful things that someone can give themselves because instead of relying on all these outside sources, well, this person is doing this. So maybe I should try that. And this person is doing this. So maybe I should try that. It's like, no, go in and go, what feels good for me? I'm going to try this and see if that feels good for me. And if it doesn't, then, you know, I'm going to make this one small change rather than big, big extreme ones. And so as that happens, you know, 
you really look back and go, I don't want to put that in my body because I don't want to get the bloating or have the symptom and, or I don't want to lose control. I, I want to respect my body. So I'm going to, you know, work through these emotions and not use food as a crutch. Right. So it's so awesome to see the confidence that somebody builds when they build this healthy relationship with food, which also includes mindful indulgence, because I also don't think it's healthy to just be on like a rice, chicken, rice, broccoli diet to like get shredded and never allow yourself to like enjoy anything. Um, You know, there's gotta be some happy medium because the other thing that happens is if we deny ourselves a certain nutrients, whether it's even like people doing keto and high fat, high protein, you're not giving yourself the carbs. You have no idea how many people I've seen with adrenal fatigue and high cortisol because they're cutting out carbs and and things like vegetables and fruits and, you know, rice and quinoa are great for balancing and regulating cortisol. Right. So that's the other thing that I see happen is people go on all these different diets without understanding their current state of health, their current symptoms, hormone picture, et cetera. And then that eating style or whatever they're doing now they feel worse because it's actually doing more harm than good. It's, it's such a really great thing to add in. I, when I started this, this journey over the last year, I took it on with a naturopath. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't just blindly like, Hey, how does Alex feel? Like how I feel is really important, but we also did blood tests and cortisol tests. And, you yeah. know, when we, when we came back at the end of a year, there was like, she was like, Hey, I think I want to put you on like this supplement because now your vitamin, your vitamin B12 is like off. Cause you're yeah. not eating as much meat and it's, you know, and, and there's things that we wouldn't know unless we actually did a little more of a deep dive, but it's not about like a, it's not about uh, a look like how I look or yeah. something. It's like actually kind of customizing it so that it works for me. Yes. My life. Right. Um, Exactly. Because it it can really do a lot of, you know, um, harm. And I'll just share one quick example. So say you have somebody who has been doing all this restriction and binging and going back and forth and they're stressing out. And so they're going and doing lots of exercise and their cortisol is really high. So for a female, once your cortisol is elevated for a period of time and same with a male, if your cortisol is elevated for a certain period of time, your adrenal glands, which produce the cortisol will get tired. And then your body will steal other important hormones to convert into cortisol to keep you functioning and your nervous system functioning at the high level. So for men, you'll pull testosterone and then you can end up with low testosterone for women your progesterone will get lower. And in either case, if that goes on long enough, your estrogen can go really high and then you end up with estrogen dominance. And then it's really hard to lose weight and that can increase risk of other things down the road. So if you innocently do not know that this picture is happening Mm -hmm. and then you go vegan, well, guess what? There's a lot of estrogen dominating foods in a vegan diet. So if you're not aware of that and you're innocently eating all the soy and um, peas and yams and things like that, you could be shooting your estrogen so high and creating so much toxicity in your body while you're trying to do something good. So it's always important to be mindful of these pictures, especially if you haven't tried anything, if you're novice to all of this and you have no idea to where to start, it's so important to get your health thoroughly assessed. Like that's the only way I'll start working with someone because certain recommendations are beneficial for certain things, but can negatively impact something else if you don't have the whole picture and you don't want to, you know, keep feeling worse and then get more frustrated and just assume nothing is ever going to work. Right. Let's let's talk about, um, manifestation and disease because you and I were touched on this when we started and I, and I shared with you, um, that 
when I, when I, when I do watch TV, I commercials come on and I want to, I like, they actually make me sick and I want to mute them. Mm -hmm. And my, um, my friend was like, this is, she like reacted like I was weird. And I was like, no, but like, look what's on the TV, right? It's like a commercial for shingles and a commercial for this disease and a commercial for this. I'm like, look, I don't think it's like magic in the sense of if I listen to the commercial, I'm going to get the disease. But I do think that like whatever we put into our brain repeatedly, if somebody tells you you're a piece of crap every day, all your life, you're going to think you're a piece of crap. Yeah. if every day when you spend hours watching TV or even a little bit every day, you hear about all the things that can go wrong with you and why you need to call your doctor and why you need to take this medicine and how these medicines are the only solution. And here are all the things that will also happen if you take this medicine. Yeah. It's it's like we're it's like these little seeds that are getting planted in our brains. Can you speak a little bit about like why I'm making sense when I say that? Oh, you're so, so, so on point. So it's all the subconscious programming that we are, we receive just like from the young age of body image, subconscious programming. So every time you have watched a TV show or a movie or a commercial where they are talking about disease, or maybe the main character in the movie gets really sick and gets cancer and then dies, you become emotionally attached to that experience that you saw. And that's then getting stored in your subconscious. And so you're associating fear right with this and you're going oh well like maybe there's another part of your brain that's going well good that there's a medication if in case one day i get that right so you're like you're allowing almost right because there's some kind of a solution and so i find the more this subliminal programming the subconscious programming comes into our brain it's not that you have to be present to it it will just plant in there because your subconscious is always open cannot recognize false from real and so eventually we get to this point where Again, we've given our power away because we think, oh my gosh, like my family had this, my friend had this, and and it went really horribly. I always see this in the movies. Um, I'm being pressured that I, if I don't like, you know, do a certain amount of exercise every week, I'm going to get sick. And so what ends up happening, in my opinion, is physical is the fifth and final plane of manifestation in the physical body. Okay. There's five planes. There's spiritual plane. So if we don't address things on a spiritual plane, which a lot of people are not aware of, a lot of people are, it will go to the energetic plane. So like our energy field, we do not address it energetically. And you have all this crap energy stuck in your field all the time. Then it will hit you mentally and emotionally. If you don't deal with your self-worth issues, if you shove down all your grief, anger, frustration, not feeling good enough, At some point or another, that stuck energy, I really believe will manifest into some kinds of symptom and where eventually if ignored and your body, you know, is yelling at you and you continue to ignore your body, it will manifest into some kind of dis-ease. That's exactly what it is. The body is at dis-ease. So just as much as you've manifested, I also believe that we can heal the body. We can balance the body regardless of what's going on. It's just that we're by accidentally getting in the way. But I find that that's what happens. And what's so interesting is observe if you get a symptom. And observe if you find yourself getting frustrated or fearful, or what is your reaction to the symptom? Because you'll probably notice the symptom gets worse the more you react. And there's that emotional reacting to the physical versus when we have a symptom, if we can take a step back, observe it and go, okay, maybe why am I bloated? What did I eat? Did I eat too quickly? Um, You know, why am I having the symptom? Maybe you can circle back and figure it out or get help with figuring it out. However, when you start to get curious rather than reactionary and you are neutral, you'll likely see the symptom go away sooner, or you'll be able to critically think and go and take some kind of action to help with the symptom. Um, the only time I ever get a physical symptom now is if there is something mentally, physically, or emotionally that I haven't addressed 
that has been sitting around. And as soon as I get a physical symptom, a symptom, I go, okay, what's going on mentally, emotionally, I go clear energy. I go do some kind of self-care. And if I cannot kick it, I will, you know, connect with my intuitive um, energy. And she, there's something from like, that I would have had no idea about. So, and then once we do the session, it goes away. So it's always so interesting how a symptom, a physical symptom is a way of your body trying to communicate with you to say, Hey, trying to get your attention. This is going on. This is where it is. Are you open to investigating and helping, you know, me figure out what's going on since this is the only way I can communicate with you. Right. And it can take you on an incredible journey where you can learn a lot about your body. You can heal your body and have all this access to resources, tools, you know, experts that can help you with these different things. The body's symptoms are not out to get you. Your body is trying to work with you, but we've been conditioned again that it's inconvenient. It's annoying, right? Oh, I'm bloated, man. I can't wear that outfit out tonight. Like that's not how we're meant to, um, you know, connect with and interact with our bodies. What do you, this time with you has like flown by, um, what do you want people to know that you haven't been able to say yet or that I haven't asked, like as kind of like a parting word? I think it's so important to know that every person deserves to have a healthy relationship with their body, to love themselves, to feel confident, to attract abundance, love, like everything they want into their lives. It's not just certain people like you're lucky, I'm lucky, whatever. Every single person has just as much of a capability, um, but we have to be willing to do the deeper work at a pace that feels good for us. We have to be willing to not be shameful or embarrassed if we're struggling with body image issues or unhealthy relationships with food or you know, asphyxiations with being able to lift a certain amount of weight or have a flat stomach. We've got to be able to go, wow, I'm, I want to recognize when I have an unhealthy dynamic with that. And maybe it's time to get help. Maybe I've been struggling for a long time, or maybe, you know what, I suspect my hormones or my gut health are not where I want them to be. It's time to delve deeper into that without any extremism. And so you're not alone. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed and dig, 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 and investigate until you can find the answers that you desire as to why you're feeling the way that you are with your health. Um, and don't take nowhere. It's in your head as a as a final answer, right? So it's you're your own advocate. The more empowered you are, the better you're going to feel, the easier you're going to manifest what you want and live an incredible life, regardless of what's going on outside your door. Amber, thanks so much um, for the work that you're doing. Thanks for what you've done for yourself so that you didn't you know, have to spend the rest of your life living the way you were living with the balancing back and forth and not loving yourself and not enjoying the experience of your life. But thanks for taking the like gold that you got and then sharing it with other people, like being that conduit. Um, I want people to know where to find you. You have a YouTube channel. Uh, we'll put, we'll put the link in the, in the show notes. You have the no sugar coating podcast. People can find you on Instagram and I'm going to spell your name for them, but it's Amber, A-M-B-E-R-R-O-M-A-N-I-U-K. You also have a women choosing body freedom on Facebook and they can go to your website and find everything at like amberapproved.ca. You've got it. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks for entertaining my stories. Um, <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm super grateful. And yeah, I hope people go check you out and see what you're up to. And I, and you know, everyone that's listening today, um, if this episode resonated with you, um, I hope it was helpful. If it didn't resonate with you, who's somebody that you need to share it with that it could make a really big difference for? Uh, Amber, thanks for who you are in the world and what you're up to. Really appreciate you.
Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.